Okay, right, I'll, I'll take that as a no. Um, we can go ahead and start this the panel without brother, uh, Pastor Blake, and then whenever he joins, we'll just catch him up. If that's okay. If that's okay. Funny. Well, I have a question. Yeah. Yeah. How does everyone feel about the Aunt Jemima name change? Now, who is this talking? That's this TJ. TJ. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they're changing Aunt Jemima's name. Yeah, and well, the sir. Did you hear the story behind, like, the whole naming and everything? Yes. Yeah. No, not, like, originally. I, I don't know what we're talking about at all, actually. I know, like, the old logo was really bad. But I, I haven't heard anything since then. Well, I, I heard it on the news this morning. That it's almost like the statues. Um, Confederate statues. The, the story, the history that goes along with it. And this is why they're coming down. And you know, my sad, the sad part to me is that younger people, they don't care about statues. They probably don't even remember seeing a statue, uh, statues. And they know nothing about Aunt Jemima pancakes and mix and the box and the picture and the syrup. Um, with the picture or Uncle Ben's rice. I look for that to go next. Um, but just the stories behind how those names came up. I'd like to hear the younger people's um, huh. opinion on it. Hmm. Well, I mean, I'm a younger person, but mm -hmm. I've, I've never really... Your... <laughs> what do you think? You know, I, did, I honestly didn't know the whole story about mm -hmm. Aunt Jemima until mm -hmm. today when I read the article. And I'm like, wow, yeah. I didn't even know that. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty much a slave story where the, um, I'm not sure exactly who the creator was. It's, it's someone that owns Quaker, I believe. But either way, yeah. mm -hmm. um, he pretty much has a slave that goes around selling his, his pancake mix, essentially. Mm -hmm. Just using her as a prop. So, yeah, um, and she's got the head rag on and the slave clothes on. Right, so he just pretty much used her as a prop and put her faith on a product. Hmm. Weird. Right. So, not okay mm -hmm. at all? No. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, all right. Awesome. So, um... Sorry, I'm trying to, I'm not sure I recognize everyone connecting. Uh, Valerie, I don't think we've met before. Am I uh, pronouncing it right, Valerie? That's correct, it's Valerie. Okay. We have not, I was invited on this call by Sylvia. Oh yeah, 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 I, I, I know about you. I remember her talking to me. I just, I didn't want to start without, you know, saying hi. <laughs> oh, sure, thank you. All right. Awesome, awesome. Um, okay, so is this uh, Pastor David Bing or is that? Is that Pastor Blake? No, that's uh, Josh. That's a guest. He's a senior pastor out of uh, Silo City, North Carolina. Awesome, awesome, cool. So is, that, is he a friend of you, of yours? Yes, he, he's a mentor. And actually, awesome. he's, a, he's, a blood, he's a blood relative. Awesome. Uh, Thank you for inviting him up. I'm, I'm Joshua, um, one of the co-hosts. TJ is, uh, and I guess he's in the bottom yeah. left corner for me. I don't know where he is for everybody. On, but, uh, uh, on, on here, it'll say Tejas. Uh, yeah, but yeah, that's but, um, me. Okay, so just uh, so everybody again to 
who are our guests. Uh, me and TJ are keeping our cameras off just so that it's um, the focus stays on you guys. But if you guys can keep a camera on, you don't you don't have to. But uh, we're gonna we might be using the video as well. So, Josh, if I can interject, it would be helpful for me if you guys had your camera on because right with without your camera on, I feel like I'm just talking to a voice and not a person. So it would be it would enhance the interaction for me if you all would turn your cameras on. I would love to see your faces as we have the conversation. All right. Absolutely. Um, no problem. I, I look pretty bad, so I'm going to go get a hat. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I didn't mess up for the meeting either, okay? <laughs> but, uh, I, I still have a hat here, so that's where I'm at. Wearing my Marvel t-shirt and everything. <laughs> but, uh, all right, so we're waiting on uh, TJ's hat. And is this 404 number, is that Pastor Blake? That uh, 404 number is Pastor Bing. I'm on video and I use my phone for voice because we're having bad weather. Weather. Gotcha. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Cool. Well, uh, good to meet you and and to know what's going on. <laughs> awesome. So uh, while TJ gets his camera, um, does anybody else have any other questions? Or his camera, his hat, so he can be on camera. Does anybody else have any other questions or anything before we get started? Not everybody good. Awesome. Um, yeah, I'll just I'll wait on him because I don't want to start. Now, over. if I hang up and start all over again, can I get my video on? I'd rather use my picture because I have makeup on in that picture. <laughs> I don't have makeup on now. So Thank we'll you. just use my picture. Everybody knows my voice. <laughs> That's fine with me. Okay. TJ, I can't hear you, but I see you. You're moving your mouth, though. Ah. Uh. I'm sitting in my closet. If if that's weird to you, I'm sorry. It's the safest recording environment for me. <laughs> okay. He's yeah. he's mentioned this several times on the podcast before. I'm kind of glad to see it. Um, okay, so just while we go through this, if you're not speaking, you could uh, put yourself on mute and it would help me with the audio a lot. You don't have to, but it does help the audio if you're not speaking to just go ahead and put it on mute until you are speaking. Um yeah, so that being said, uh, let's just go ahead and jump into all of these big conversations we want to have. Uh, TJ, did you want to start first, or do you want me to start first? Uh, you can go ahead. Awesome. Um, we did want to ask all of you, because we don't want to just talk about practical and what's going on and the big world picture. We want to be personal, all right? We want to be uncomfortable. Um, and I want to give you guys an opportunity for to share your stories. If any of you have ever faced any form of racism or systematic racism or anything like that and you guys wanted to talk about it this would be a great time we're all we're all ears if anybody has any stories they wanted to share um sister sylvia i know you were telling me a few, few stories before on the phone the other day did you want to share any of those well um one of my stories would be i was on the board for cbl here in south carolina and this was possibly in the um, mid-80s. And I traveled to a certain church to teach my class. And, and as you know, South Carolina is predominantly white. I was the only female and I was the only black person on the committee. I drove about three hours to get to this church. My eighth grade son at the time was riding with me 
and the pastor refused to let me in his church. He refused to let me in. I go back to my vehicle feeling like a whipped pup. Because every time you think this has died down, it rises again. And um, so I was trying to smooth it over with my son because I didn't want him to know what really happened. And he said, I said to him, you know, they, they probably don't want to have the class because it's a holiday weekend. And my eighth grade son said to me, okay, holiday. They didn't let you in that church because you were black. And I had to hold myself together for three hours to get my son back home. And, you know, I, I, don't, I can't remember now if we talked about it, but I tried to smooth it over because I didn't want him to be against Church of God of Prophecy or people that he would go to the youth camp with, with their children. But that was the reality that day. And in my ministry in South Carolina, I faced many of those kind of days. Some a little worse, some not as bad. But I didn't. I never gave up. I never gave up. I just kept going, kept going. I, I, I think I've coined the phrase, people will never know the price that you pay to be who you are. Hmm. And I want to give others an opportunity. Valerie, I need you to speak up. Hello. Uh, I think she's still on mute. Mm-hmm. Just a letter. Sorry about that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I have many stories that I could share, some that are my personal stories, um, my brother's stories, my father's stories, my son's mm -hmm. stories my husband's stories. So there are many that I can share. The one I'm going to choose to share um, is uh, relevant to the Church of God of Prophecy that I grew up in. Um, and of course, I grew up in a, a local church that was predominantly Black. But of course, we know the church in general is, is predominantly white. And I attended um, the Agape summer camp every summer um, and had attended for years. And I didn't see very many people that looked like me when I came to camp. Um, in fact, usually the people who looked like me came to camp with me. Um, and so I remember coming to that camp for years, uh, being in um, the, the minority by um, a huge percentage, um, and never seeing a Black camp counselor, a Black director, no one in a position of authority or leadership ever looked like me all the years I had attended this camp. I believe it was my, either my sophomore or junior year that I came to camp. And by that time, I was at the point where I really wasn't excited about coming to camp anymore. Um, but I came to camp this particular year, a van full of us, I remember, and somebody ran out to the, to the van, somebody ran out to the van and said, there's a black counselor in there. And I remember being, I remember us jumping off that van and running into that cabin like someone had told us Jesus was there. 
Uh, and it was Sylvia who was the counselor. And we ran in that cabinet. And I didn't realize how much emotion I had attached to this until I'm telling you this story. We ran into that cabin and we jumped into those beds and grabbed hold to our pillows and were, we were just so excited to be there. And then I remember someone coming through and said, uh-uh, y'all are going to have to break up. All of y'all can't be in this cabin together. And mind you, I had attended this camp many years before and had always been the only black girl in my cabin. Um, and they said, you all going to have to break up. They can't have all of y'all in here together. And I just remember all of us just like holding onto our pillows and holding on our, to our bed saying, we're not going to be the one to leave. We're not going to be the one to leave. Finally, they did get one of us to leave. And, you know, it was like, why was it a problem that all of us were together when every other cabinet, all of the white girls, in every other cabinet, all of the white girls were together? And, um, you know, there were many stories um, that I could tell from my camp experience. But that one in particular, I think was the first time when I, it was blatant in my face that we were different and that it was a problem if we were all congregated together. I also remember that week, there were constant complaints about our cabin being loud or there was just, it, it felt like we were nitpicked the entire week. What I will say though, out of all of the years that I ever attended that camp, Sylvia is the only camp counselor that I can tell you that I remember. That is the only experience where story after story after story, I can tell you things that happen that now at age 52 continue to impact my life in a positive way. Um, so anyway, that's just one of my stories. Praise God. You know, I actually, I'm, I'm 100% about a couple of these. I'm not sure all the way, but I think, well, I met TJ before me and him or ever attended camp. I was his counselor once. But I think the first time we went to camp, I think Devante also went to camp with us. And Sister Sylvia was the director of camp then, right? Possibly. I believe that was the case. <laughs> Devante, I met you, did I meet you at senior camp? Yeah, I think Yeah, I think so. Awesome. Sweet. Yeah. Well, I was never the director of senior camp. No? I, was, I could have been assisting Chucky as director. Um, you were my director. The higher I got was um, junior camp that I directed. Yeah, that's uh, several years. Actually, no. Pastor Charles. But I was always Jeff at White senior camp. camp too. Yeah, I, I know. Uh, most Sylvia's, of in some way. Yeah, Sylvia's been my director. I've worked for Sylvia. I think mm -hmm. I think Devante was my cabin leader once. Nice. I think so. <laughs> yeah. And if Lucky. I can, I actually Sylvia. Uh, gave me the honor of coming, I you know, left that camp, you know, 18 years old, never went back until, I don't know, what was it, Sylvia, two years ago? Um, that two Sylvia years ago. Mm -hmm. To come and teach at that camp. Um, I, I came and taught at that camp and actually brought my son with me, who was 12, 13 years old at the time. Um, wow. And while a lot had changed, a whole lot had stayed the same. Mm -hmm. um, and my son's question to me was, mommy, you came here every summer for a week? Like, how did you do that? And we didn't talk about what that meant, but I knew what that meant. I knew exactly mm -hmm. what that meant when he said that. And that was with Sylvia being the director and, and her son, you know, doing the music there. Still a lot had not changed. Mm -hmm. um, uh, 
Reverend Kino, you are, I believe you're actually the only one on call who's not a part of the Church of God of Prophecy, but you're actually part of the AME Zion Church. Um, has your experience been much different? or? So I haven't experienced any uh, racism within the church because, I mean, most, yeah. no, no, most <laughs> we all black. <laughs> so whenever you have a white person to come to church, it looks weird. <laughs> I still yes. might come though. <laughs> oh, you're more than welcome to come. <laughs> um, but no, awesome. not in that regard. Yeah. Um, but I have I have experienced uh, uh, some prejudice, and I can tell you a story where my family and I we was I think we was at the Charlotte Premium Outlet, and we was looking for a bag for my wife, and we was at the Kate Spade. Uh, um, um, store and uh, there was some folks that was following us and I, to me I wasn't even paying attention because my mind is alright let me see what this bag is does my wife like it um, is it going to meet our price point and all this stuff and so when we yeah. left out because my wife said she didn't like anything when she left out she's like you noticed that lady was following us I said yeah I did notice that and uh, funny enough my children were too small to pay attention but that was you know that was a little awkward and weird for us um, in that regard that's sad. Um, Pastor Blake was able to, he's made it with us. Uh, Pastor Blake, we were all just uh, discussing if anybody had any stories where they've faced racism or experienced system, systemic racism, and um, just giving everybody a chance to kind of tell their story. If you had anything you wanted to share, you could uh, go ahead and do that. I don't know. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you. Awesome, awesome. Um, did you have yeah. anything you wanted to share, or you just want to go ahead and move on to the next thing? Um, well, um, I have experienced um, racism on, on a few different occasions, but one in particular that kind of sticks in my mind. Um, I, I won't name the, the church organization um, for particular reasons, but um, I didn't grow up with, in the Church of God of Prophecy organization. I was a, a Baptist and then became non-denominational um, as I got older. And so when I came to the Church of God of Prophecy organization. Um, I came to a church in a, a particular uh, church in my hometown. And when I came in, I noticed that there weren't very many, if any blacks or African-Americans at all. And um, I went to shake an individual's hand um, that was in the church attending and he literally rejected my handshake. And so from that, that situation, it let me know that there were still some issues, underlying issues um, there, even at that church that hadn't been addressed. And, uh, and so it kind of made me take a step back um, and look at the church organization um, from a different standpoint and became very reluctant um, to even become a part of that, uh, the church organization. Well, I'm glad you did. It's, uh, it's been an honor knowing Pastor Blake. He's actually been one of my pastors once when I lived in the Somerville area. And he's, uh, he's been a big blessing in my life as well as everyone who I've met before on here. And the couple I haven't met, I'm very happy to meet. Um, actually, I wanted to kind of backtrack a little bit and give everybody a chance to introduce themselves for the panel. I was kind of waiting on Pastor Blake to, to be able to do that. Um, some of you have known for a very long time. Some of you have met more recently. Some of you I'm just now meeting, but um, 
y'all hold a special place in my heart and this conversation is um extremely important and it's extremely important that everybody knows who's talking and you know kind of is able to associate faces to names and everything so if um everybody just kind of introduce themselves one at a time we'll we'll kind of cue it up for you um uh pastor jeff white would you like to introduce yourself first um actually i, I go by charles now josh okay because um, there's two jeff whites right <laughs> Yeah, well, there's yeah. one Jeff White and there's one Charles White. Um, I'm Pastor Charles. Uh, okay, I'm sorry. Um, no problem, man. Um, been a part of the church for quite some time now. Um, it's good to see um, someone that actually grew up in the church with on the call. That's Miss Val. Good to see you. Hadn't seen you in years. Um, Sister Staten has been a mentor to me for the past several years. Um, she actually served as my, my first camp director that I ever experienced. Um, so there, there's a lot of connections. There's a lot of history, um, a lot of uh, Pastor Blake, very good friend of mine, um, that I have on this call um, with us. And I'd just like to say to you, Josh, I think this is a very bold and a very brave thing that you guys are doing because um, this conversation is long overdue in this, this time that we've had. I agree. Thank, thank you for saying that. Um, uh, Miss Valerie, would you, is, is it Miss? Okay, um, I think you're on mute again, but would, would you like to introduce yourself to everybody? Sure, um, Valerie Morgan Isaiah, um, as Jeff indicated, grew up uh, in the same uh, small hometown there uh, in South Carolina, uh, was a part of the Church of God of Prophecy um, all of my, uh, practically all of my childhood. Um, however, since that time, it was during college that I left the Church of God of Prophecy, um, and it was actually because I experienced racism. Um, and I have been a part of Baptist Church. I've been a part of the AME Church. Uh, I am currently a part of a non-denominational church. Those moves were strictly because um, geographical moves, um, but they all um, really contributed to my growth and my development and who I am today. Not mm -hmm. only as a, a, a Christian, a woman, woman of God, and a you know a active leader in my church, but who I am as a person, who I am as an employee, um, who I am as a mother and a wife. Um, so I, I currently reside in Charlotte, North Carolina. I am CEO of an organization called Autism Charlotte. Um, I am a wife of 25 years, a mother of a handsome 15 year old. And if you follow me on social media, you know that is my heart and that's my life. Um, and I am very passionate about this particular issue because I do have that, that son. Um, and um, you know, committed to the conversation. So um, thank you for inviting me to be a part of this. Um, I have a lot of, like I said, I have a lot of passion around this issue. Thank you, thank you for being here. Um, Reverend Kino, would you mind introducing yourself to everybody? Yes, um, my name is Reverend Kino Kennedy and I am the pastor of Union Bethel AME Zion Church in Cornelius, North Carolina, also known as the historic Smithfield community. Um, it is an honor and privilege to be on this conversation with you all. I met Josh and TJ just off of a random phone call asking about interviewing someone about the church in the AME Zion Church, and we hit it off ever since then. So I thank them for even inviting me on this panel. Um, it's a pleasure to see you all. And that, that was a great episode. I was trying to remember which episode it was, but uh, it's called AME Zion Talk. Pretty easy to find a yeah, we, we love Reverend Keno. I think we both immediately after that podcast followed him on Instagram. I was like, yeah, we're just going to keep up with this guy's life. <laughs> uh, great guy, great guy. Um, another great guy, my friend uh, Devante. We kind of grew up together a little bit. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself to everybody? 
Yeah, sure. My name is Devontae Dixon. Um, I kind of grew up in Kogop with a mix of uh, some Southern Baptist churches as well. Uh, but I hold Kogop near and dear to the heart because, you know, I that's really where I got to know Jesus. You know, I got a personal relationship with him. And I do want to just backtrack real quick just to clarify something. So my black and brown uh, brothers and sisters that are on this call, we it's not a question of whether, you know, whether we have ever experienced systematic racism. Uh, it, it's, it's a definite yes for all of us because it's not something that we can control. Um, that's something that's generationally passed down. Um, but I did just want to clarify that systematic racism is something that we all have experienced and we don't have a choice in experiencing. Thank you for your input. I am um, I really I'm just gonna be honest, I don't know what to say to that. That's um Yeah, no, true. no. I just wanted to just clarify just because a lot of people think that uh, some people don't even think systematic racism exists when uh, there's clear things that have been done in the United States government history that prove that these things are, you know, they exist. So I just wanted to clarify, like, it, it's a definite thing because there are things you can look up, like redlining or uh, COINTELPRO. There's different things you can definitely look up to see the systematic racism within the country. Yeah. Which, um, I might edit me saying this out, but uh, just, just so you know, Devante, uh, a large part of me wanting to have this conversation was because of you. You know, it's, um, it's something I hear a lot is, once it becomes personal is when people start to care. And Devante posted a lot of these kind of links and stuff on Facebook. And uh, me and my brother, Matt, we think of Devante as a brother, right? So we see that this bothered him and it, that affected me. And I think that's, that's how the whole church should feel, right? We should see people affected by this and that should make us feel the same. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I hope, you know, I'm speaking to all the other, you know, white people or whoever else out there, if you know people in the church, they're your brothers and sisters who are affected by this. You should care. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a good word, Devante. And th thank you for reaching me, whether you meant to or not. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Brother Bing, would you like to introduce yourself to everybody? Yes. Um, thank you for, uh, I thank my cousin, uh, Charles, for the invite to sit in on this panel tonight, I'm, uh, I serve as pastor uh, in, uh, excuse me, in Goldston, North Carolina, of the Destiny Church of God of Prophecy, and I am, I will say, fourth generation Church of God of Prophecy. I've been in the church a long time, and um, I'm just uh, the privilege to be here, and I'm looking forward to hearing this conversation and praying that there will be change. Um, I'm listening to everything everyone else is saying, and I too, you know, have a story, but you know what? Every one of us has a story, but mm -hmm. uh, I just appreciate being on this call. I'm also married 30 years. I celebrated 30 years of marriage on yesterday. Uh, so I thank God for that. I, I have four uh, beautiful children, two young men, two young women that reside in uh, Georgia. They're grown, but I thank God and, you know, this conversation is needed. It's needed because I have a daughter who is a member of the church, which she would make five generations in the Church of God of Prophecy. And we have seen a lot 
I've seen a lot in the Church of God of Prophecy uh, when it comes to race and race relationships. So I'm just looking forward to uh, hearing what everyone is going to say. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Sister Sylvia, we kind of already introduced you here. So um, mm -hmm. I have one other person who's just on as guest. I'm not sure who that is. Would guests like to say anything? All right, I'm just gonna write that off as a enigma for now. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. I don't think we need to introduce myself or TJ. They should know us. Uh, we're the host of the Whole Church Podcast, <laughs> which you are currently listening to. Um, for this conversation, just, just to make things flow a little better, if everybody would, uh, you know, I'm just gonna kind of ask generic questions to everyone and we'll just act like we're in school. And you just raise your hand if you have something to say and we'll call on you. Um, TJ, you want to do the same thing? If you have a question that you wanted to go ahead and ask, you just, all right, yeah, I just feel like that might help with the flow a little bit if everybody's okay with that. Mm -hmm. Awesome, awesome. So uh, uh, we, there, is, there is an option in Zoom to raise your hand if you're using the app. Uh, if you click the more options thing, then your hand will show up <laughs> uh, if you just don't have your video on. Uh, so if you would like to do that instead of actually raising your hand, that should work. Yeah, but if you want but to- Please forgive me for not being on where you can see me. I don't know how to do it without hanging up and starting over. Yeah, um, you're and you're absolutely there. fine. Yeah, you can okay. just you can just speak okay. up whenever you want. Just, uh, All right. Yeah, we'll just do that for everybody else and it should still help okay. the flow a lot. Um, so we already asked about y'all, some about y'all's story. Um, I did want to ask, and the whole reason this, well, you know, outside of my inspiration from Devante, after that, I called Sister Sylvia, and she kind of inspired this podcast and this panel, because I called her because, um, you know, I saw a lot of, you know, we can't just say nothing, we can't do nothing. I was like, yeah, that, that's right. But as someone who hasn't experienced it, I didn't really know what to say or what to do. So I called Sister Sylvia, and we talked about doing this panel, and um, I really believe that there are others out there in the church or even outside of the church who um, maybe aren't black themselves or aren't African American themselves. And they, um, they want to do something. They want to say something, but we're not sure what the right thing to say or do is. Um, would anyone care to address that? Is there a right action or a right thing we can say? Or what, what should we be doing as individuals? Devante. I don't necessarily know if there's a right thing for us to do, but I know the wrong thing for us to do is to stay quiet and allow our brothers and sisters to continue to suffer. So um, I think the first step that all of us should take is really just educating ourselves on what the, the root issue, the root cause of the issue, what, what is causing it is obviously a race issue. So break it down and get down to what is, well, what's the root of that systematic racism? I think once we educate ourselves on the history of what's actually been going on right within our own cities, and a lot of us don't know about the history of our own country, um, I think that's where a lot of our, I guess our starting point probably should be. You know, Go someone ahead, said to me um, just the other day about re-entry into our church when are we going in because of COVID? We got so much going on. But, um, 
and I stated to that person that this disease is very harsh to black and brown people. And um, one of the responses I got from that person was, but it is your constitutional right to go back into your church and worship. And my thought was, number one, the constitution wasn't really written for me. Mm-mm. Number two, what good is a constitution if I'm dead? Mm. Um, so the constitution is not my main concern. The health and the well-being of my sheep is the most important thing to me. And that's what I think a lot of white people in and out of the church do not realize. The constitution wasn't written for us. It was written for people that look like you. So, and I'm like, I agree with Devante. We need to educate ourselves. I was in a conversation yesterday. They couldn't understand why we, why the monuments need to come down. It, they said this was their history. And, and my thought was, it's according to what side of the street you are viewing that monument. Do you look at Thomas Jefferson the way I look at Thomas Jefferson? Do you look at all these other Confederate soldiers the way I look at these Confederate soldiers? There's no way you could understand without the conversation and without educating ourselves on why we put the statue there. The statue was placed there because I didn't put it there. The statue was placed there from the beginning. And until we do this, it will, that scab will always come and some terrible event will take place where the scab will come off and that sore will bleed again. Mm. Mm. Uh, Pastor Charles, you had something you wanted to say as well? I did. I, uh, I, I'm, in agree- I'm in agreement with everything that's been said so far. Um, Devante mentioned that we don't know if there's really something in particular that can be done to change uh, the heart of a man. Um, you know, my, my thing is, I, I just think it's time for the church to acknowledge that we have messed up and we've messed up royally. Mm-hmm. We have hurt a lot of people. We have offended a lot of people. Uh, my being one of them, I've just chosen to, to stick with the church. Um, Josh, I remember one, my final year in uh, senior camp as a camper, um, my little girlfriend for the week, you know, was a little white girl. And uh, there was one night she came out of the dorm crying and I asked her what was wrong. And she says, you know, my cabin leader and someone else just told me that God is not pleased with me being with you. Um, needless to say, as a camper, I never returned to the campground. Um, these stories, I, I was told a, a horrible story um, just the other day where a gentleman shared that um, he was working in a, a youth re- a, a recruit when he heard two male staff members coming in saying, um, I wonder who got the cabin full of the N-word. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, th- these things have happened. You know, I, I've been given kind of a brief history, even on church gatherings, where, you know, blacks sat up in the, in the balcony while whites sat down on the floor. And when asked about the situation, you know, what's happening, why is this happening? Um, and the response was given, because it's the law. And I'm thinking, since when does the law uh, supersede the word of God? 
you know, how we treat each other. Um, but the church does not want to acknowledge that we have contribute, contributed to the problem or the dilemma, the pandemic that's staring us in the face now. Um, and because of fear of backlash or, or recoil, whatever the case is, it's time the church acknowledge. We need to acknowledge the fact that we have sinned. We have hurt people. We have lost good people um, from our organizations because of ignorance, because of racial prejudice. Um, we can continue to talk, and it's a great thing. Um, that we are having a conversation, but, you know, I'm hoping to gain from this or see from this, you know, the system be changed, leadership be changed. If we're willing to take down statues that are offensive to people, we need to be willing to take down leaders that are offensive to people. Amen. I mean, that'll, uh, that's deep. That's heavy. It's true. Um, I mean, I, um, yeah, I asked Sister Sylvia, and I went ahead and said, you know, I'm going to go and kind of and kind of presuppose what some of our listeners or other people who maybe aren't already on board are kind of thinking. And so we want to address both sides. We want to address everything and really speak life to everyone. And we hope to seek understanding, not just for ourselves, but for those who maybe don't have as much understanding even as us. So um, mm-hmm. one thing I've heard, I've actually heard recently on the phone, that it's not an issue of racism. It's an issue of classism. It's the lower class gets treated that way, not necessarily, you know, a certain race. Um, if, if anybody wanted to address that, I saw Valerie had her hand up. I want to go ahead and let her speak if she wanted to say something. So I originally wanted to address the first question, but now I want yeah. to address the second. <laughs> Do both. Go ahead. <laughs> well, let me say a couple of things to the first because I have to. Um, so, you know, there's this big question of what, what do we do, right? So there is the things that have to be done on a, a, a macro level, and then there are things that have to be done on a micro level. And, you know, I believe, what I believe we all have to do is really personalize, not what can we do, the bigger society, because that is a part of, part of the question. The church, yes, that's a part of the question. But every single person on this call, you have an individual personal responsibility in this. And I think sometimes when we talk about what can we do as a church, as an employer, as a society, it becomes so big that one, to some, it becomes overwhelming to deal with. And to others, it's just that safe place to do nothing because it's so massive that you don't know where to start. It's like having that big project. I don't know if you, any of you ever watched this, this show Hoarders and you see those houses and there's just all this stuff and it's just chaos and it's just, you know, there's just junk. And it's like, well, where do they start? And I think sometimes when we view the problem as that big, it gives us an excuse to do nothing. Um, so one, a couple of things I wanna share is one, you have to stop looking for a quick fix. This didn't happen quickly. It's not going to be fixed quickly. Black people are not going to stop. You know, it's almost like when I get into a dispute with my husband, and I can always beat him with with the words. Um, you know, he'll say, "I'm sorry," really quick, and that's whether he's genuinely sorry or not. I know that that quick "I'm sorry" is just stop talking about it, right? And so, as a black person who've experienced this, that's a lot of what I hear when I hear, "What can we do? How can we fix it?" I hear, "All right, what do I need to do to get you to stop talking about it?" Um, so, I need you people to understand that it, there's not a quick fix. Um, and when you do that to me, you only further um, intensify my pain associated with this. 
I also need you to stop asking me how to fix it. I didn't do it. I didn't create it. And it's like when a person has lost a loved one or gone through some traumatic experience and everyone calls and everyone says, well, let me know what I can do. Well, I'm the one in pain and I oftentimes don't know what you can do. I don't necessarily know in the moment what I need. And so sometimes the question, um, you know, there are those of us who feel like we need to give a quick response um, because we're the problem solvers. And then there's others who are irritated by the question. Um, while, so while I think the conversation needs to pass to continue, I think that question, you know, being asked to black people, how do we fix it? Um, that's a question that I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear how do, how, how do we fix it. I just want to continue the conversation. Um, and then when asking um, how I experience racism, I like to pose the question back to the majority. How have you perpetrated racism? Because we always ask us our stories. And you know, we heard many of those stories on the call today in terms of you know, how we have been um, the subjects of racism. But we never hear from our white brothers and sisters, how did you perpetrate racism? And sometimes that is conscious and sometimes that is subconscious racism, but we don't hear those stories. We don't hear our counterparts saying, you know what, I remember when I did this and when I said that, and when I evaluate that, what I realized is I was per uh, perpetrating racism. Mm -hmm. The other question is how have you benefited from it? Those are things that we, we don't talk about on an individual level. So what I would say on an individual level is challenge yourself um, to ask, where am I continuing um, to perpetrate racism? Um, and when I see it happening, am I questioning it? Am I challenging it? Am I challenging my family members, my loved ones? Do I challenge it on my job? Let's give voice to it. Let's give voice to it outside of these conversations and begin to give voice to it in all of those other places that we walk. Rather, again, whether it's in the church, whether it's on the job, if I'm in a, in, a, in a leadership meeting at church and I see racism raising its ugly head, do I stand up in that meeting and say, no, this is not right. This is an example of racism being continuing to exist here. So that's the, those are things that I think can be done on a micro level while we continue these conversations about addressing it on a macro level. And now in saying all of that, I forgot your second question. Um, I was talking about those who like to try and say that it's not necessarily a race issue, but a class issue. The lower class people are the ones who face police brutality, not necessarily a specific race. So I think that that's a way we, uh, we, we tend to um, smooth over the issue. Yes, there are clearly class issues in this country. There's no doubt about it. Um, however, there is still clearly a race issue. And if you're black and of low socioeconomic status, mm -hmm. it is a double, triple, and if you're male, it's a triple-edged sword. Um, yes. So yes, there's clearly a class issue. But there is no de denying, even before a class issue, there's a race issue. Because even if you never know where I fall on the, so on the social economic uh, spectrum in this country, you clearly know I'm black, okay? So you have to know a little bit more about me um, before you know where, what my, my social economics are. And those issues exist, but they do not supersede the racial issues that we face in this country. And it just adds to um, what the black community faces 
um, when you add the social economics to it as well. Yeah, and uh, I, I guess kind of address my own question for those people. I actually read an article earlier today, it was uh, David French, who's a very conservative reporter, who um, he adopted a young African-American lady, or I think she was just African, I think she was Ethiopian, but he, um, he was talking about how, you know, he had two of his own biological children first, and then he had her, and the experience was wildly different for her, and how that changed his views on racism. And, you know, that, I think that speaks to that question. You know, obviously, of his three daughters, two of them didn't have a different class than the third one, right? Like, so I think that's, that kind of speaks to that issue as well. Um, while we're debunking things, I know this one's been kind of beat over the head. Uh, does anyone want to address the All Lives Matter thing? People like to respond to the Black Lives Matter with that. TJ. Of course, all lives matter. Absolutely. No one's saying they don't. But that's, that's not the issue right now. Like if a loved one came up to you, like someone you knew and said their father died, you, you probably wouldn't say, well, everyone's father dies. That's not what you do. That's, that's not the kind of issue we're facing. It's like, yes, all lives matter. All lives can't matter until black lives matter. Yeah, that, that, yeah that's, think, that's how I look at it. Yeah. Um, anybody and else have anything they wanted to add to that? I, you know, October we celebrate, uh, we give recognition to breast cancer awareness. And you never hear anybody say, well, what about pancreatic cancer? What about lung cancer? That's important too. Nobody says that, but it is that statement is only made when it comes to Black Lives Matter. And, and I agree with my pastor friend that all lives can't matter until Black Lives Matter. Yeah, I think the favorite response I've heard to that, which I know it's, it's been beat over the head, but my favorite response to the All Lives Matter thing was, could you imagine if your house was on fire and you called 911 and the operator said, so what? My house has been on fire before. That doesn't help me right now. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, did anybody else have anything they want to respond to that? No? Okay. Um, and that this will be the last me pre presuppositioning what other people say. Um, I also heard someone actually recently tell me part of why they can't support the Black Lives Matter, hashtag Black Lives Matter, any of that is because they said it's come from the same people who started the Black Panthers, which uh, I think Sister Sylvia kind of hinted at that earlier. Um, does anybody want to address that concern or tell me where that came from? Because I have no idea where that even came from. Kino. So, so let's, let's deal with one issue and that is the Black Panthers were really focused on empowering and helping those in the community. Uh, one of the things that they did was they helped with food, they helped with after school care, and a lot of things that, that they took are now a part of the staple of what happens in, in the rest of the country. So there's like um, um, WIC came out of the Black Panther movement, um, after school care, those other things. And so for anybody to say, well, I can't support it because it's a part of the Black Panther, when in actuality, you can't support it because it makes you feel uncomfortable that the issue is being raised about race and colorism. 
And so my challenge to anybody, especially who's, who's a believer, Jesus said that you will know that you are my disciples by how you love one another. And if you love me, then you should be concerned about my well-being and my, my children's well-being. And the reality is that society as a whole is not concerned about African-Americans' well-being because it doesn't matter until it becomes, until it uh, transitions to the other side of the track. And so what you're seeing now is folks are feeling uncomfortable with something that's being portrayed that's been going on for, for, black, for black people for since, since we've been a part of this country. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's sad, but, but uh, police has been killing black men forever. Um, we've been lynched. We've been brutalized. We've been, we've been demoralized. That, this is nothing new for us. It's just now it's being filmed, like Will, Will Smith said. And so what you're seeing is something that we've known growing up since generations. We've been, we heard stories. We always, we always have experienced it some way, shape, form, or fashion. So to say that the Black Lives Matter is like the Black Panthers is, is what's really, what's really is saying is that you don't care because for what you heard about the Black Panthers. Yes, they had guns. Yes, but they were trying to protect their own, their own people. They were trying to protect their own people from the police. Because the police was coming in, killing, killing their own people, killing black people, and so they started to take it upon themselves to protect, to protect because those who we said that were protecting and serve were not protecting and serving us, and so they decided to take it upon themselves. And this whole thing about Black Lives Matter is we're trying to make the issue known to the world that our voice is being squashed by people ignoring the value of who we are as human beings. We've been asking since the beginning of this country to treat us as human beings when in actuality we were never considered human beings from the get-go. So. That's rough and that's, I think that hits the nail on the head. That's, uh, yeah. I think that's all my presuppositioning of other people's things. Um, I wanted to get to the church stuff. A lot of people feel like the church has been too silent, and, and I think that's sort of what we're getting from all of you. And would would you guys agree that the church has been too silent on the issues of Black Lives Matter? Or? Definitely. Awesome, awesome. Um, what What do you think the church should be saying? As you know, the bigger picture. I know Valerie asked. We don't ask individually what that is, right? Uh, individual. The best action I could do is to turn to myself, ask myself, is what she said. I think I liked that, and to kind of see if I've been a part and kind of evaluate myself and deal with me, but uh, on a bigger picture, what can the church do? What can the church be saying? I like what Valerie said when she was get, talking about her experience. And Valerie brought up the fact that for years she went to camp and no person of color was in a decision-making position. No person of color. So the songs that were sung were were not our songs, but we sang them. The activities that they had were not our activities. And a lot of us weren't even a part of the activities. Uh, A lot of things they did at camp, it was nothing was geared toward black people. And I really... Uh, admonish and admire, and especially for South Carolina, because if Brother Bing, uh, he's experienced it, I suppose, I know he hadn't been in North Carolina long, but it's totally different 
in North Carolina. Everything is centered around the biggest population that's black people. So they sing songs where they clap their hands and clap on rhythm. And, um, you know, <laughs> so, <laughs> what? No need to target me, Sister Sylvia. I don't, I don't need that. <laughs> and we can give lessons. Um, but one of the things that the church needs to do is look at the staff, look at the people that's making decisions and say, are we fully representing the people that we minister to? Are we fully representing? I'm, I'm impressed with Serena Williams' husband. He stepped down from that ever how many millions or billions of dollar position that he was in. And he said, we need to put a black man here. And I think that's what the church needs to do and get away from, and here's the uh, uh, a cliche, the good old white boy system and say, are we really serving everybody? The thing I loved about being a mom of four boys, the thing I loved, I got an echo out of it, I guess it was mine. The thing I loved about being a mom is of four boys is every one of them were different and they still are. And I had to adjust myself for each one of my sons. And now I'm still adjusting myself for each one of the men that I've birthed into the world. But the church does not treat us like that. There was a saying that was made. I can't remember who said it. If we continue to be silent about our pain, they will kill us and say we enjoyed it. We need people of color in decision-making yeah. positions. That's what I think the church needs to take a long, hard look at it. Sister Staten, um, allow me to piggyback. Um, you, you and I are both members of the same organization, mm -hmm. um, both licensed ordained ministers in the same organization. Um, and I guess I'm asking you a question through the audience. You know, do you find it strange that in a hundred plus years of this church's existence, we have never had, we, we've had what I call sub-leaders. We, we've had area, you know, you know, different pressers, but we have never had a minority to sit in that seat. In a hundred and something odd years in the existence of this church, are you meaning, are, is somebody asking me to accept that there has not been a man or woman of color um, that is qualified, that has qualified themselves, um, whether it be through their education, through their walk with the Lord, through their ministerial credentials? Has there not been one man or woman of color in a hundred and something odd years that has qualified themselves to sit in that seat? It's hard for me to believe that that's, that's the case. Every, every person who has sat in, every general overseer that has sat in that seat has all been white men. Not to discredit them, they're all great men, wonderful men, known, some, known of some of them personally, but it's just hard for me to believe that in a hundred years, in, in a, you know, that there is no one of color that has qualified themselves, that, that is eligible to sit in that seat. 
Why is that? Because of the system that is built into the system. Yes. The system that is built into the system. Right. And I do believe if, uh, and, and, and let me say this, that, you know, um, AJ served 40 years. MA, I think, served over 40 years. So in, in um, almost 100 years, we've actually only had about five or six. And I think if a black man was placed in that position, we would have what would equal to the effects of what happened when um, Barack Obama became president of the United States. That's sad. Within True. the church. Cool. What if Sister Sylvia became the general overseer? <laughs> then Everybody everything would be work. perfect. <laughs> everything. <Exactly. laughs> no. It fix um, all of our problems. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I would receive I would receive um, backlash on two points. Yeah, I'm a woman, and, and I'm are. black. Which. We'll have to talk to you again on the podcast sometime about um, the role of women ministers, because that's also a huge topic. We've talked about it before on the podcast, but we'd love yes. to talk to you more about it. Um, mm -hmm. Actually, I have, a, I have one last question for the panel, and then uh, we'll, we'll finish this up with Sister Sylvia. And I would like, if everybody could, you know, you don't have to, but if everyone could answer this one, I'd like to hear from everybody. If God himself was speaking to you and he said, hey, I'm going to make it happen. This one thing, the church will do this one thing to impact this movement, the black lives matter movement. What would you have the one thing the church could do? What would you have it be? Whether it be a, you know, this is a new event we're going to do, whether it be a new, you know, decree of the church of whatever, what one thing would you have done? Uh, Pastor Charles, Let me go you? first because I want to say All this right. before somebody else says it. Um, in my other life as a um, prevention specialist, before we could put forth any program, after we came up with an idea, we had to have a focus group representing the people that were going to receive the service that we were going to offer. Um, I had one person, and I'm old, so I'm gonna say this: Why give me, um, why give me a churn if I already have sweet milk? I don't need a cow. I got sweet milk. That's what they used to call it. But anyway, hmm. so we would pull together a focus group, and we would ask the same kind of questions, possibly that you're asking: How can we serve you better? So, what do I feel the church could do, I think the simplest, the easiest thing is call together a focus group. And it may be several because the opinions in the South are going to be different from the opinions in the North, South, East, or West. Come together. Let's have a conversation. Please don't come telling us all that you have done for us. Please don't come telling us how we have helped you people. 
but let's have a conversation and let us tell how we feel about how good you were to us in 1950. That's what I'm going to say. Then do me a favor. Please don't say you people. <laughs> it's always bad. <laughs> a list of what not to say. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what, uh, anyone else care to answer one thing the spirit's gonna speak it into you know the ear of the general presbyter the ear of whoever needs to hear it what one thing would you have the church do josh the, the church needs to become intentional about everything that they do moving forward um to diversify the leadership it would be great to be able to look in in the leadership office and see someone there who's representing me who looks like me um, it's, it's just kind of hard to sell truth and holiness and, and not to say that these men and women are not, um, I'm not questioning their walk with the Lord, but if you're asking me if there's something that I could whisper into their ear, um, they need to become intentional, you know, mm-hmm. have a purpose, you know, granddaddy can't leave the church today, uh, to the son anymore. The son can't leave the church to the grandson anymore. Um, and we've seen this handed down throughout church. So if, if you are serious, you, the church is serious about correcting this or helping to initiate change, um, then be intentional. You know, do it. Do it for a reason. Um, create opportunities for others um, to, to lead from a, diff, a different perspective and a different angle. Um, we, we could learn something from you. It's a good word. It's a good word. And that's um, something we've said before, you know, not, not necessarily just about leadership, but, you know, about the individual church. We've said, you know, if you're in a community that's 20% African-Americans, your church should have that, right? Your church should reflect the community. And that's, um, I think the same thing's true of the leadership. That's, that's a good word. Um, but anybody but else? not just in congregation, but in leadership, because you will have people to say, we have black people at our church. And my question is, how many of those black people are in leadership? How many of those black people make decisions? If you can't make decisions, you're just a token. That's right. So, um, Reverend Kino, you're from a, a, a different church. Your church is the African Methodist Episcopal, am I, am I saying that right, Zion Church? All right, make sure I got the AME right. <laughs> um, what's a, for you with being a part of a, a church that is predominantly African-American, is there anything that you, if God just said, hey, I whispered in the right guy's ear, one thing the church could do to help the Black Lives Matter movement, what would it be? Um, that's, that's a hard question to answer only because Cause you started out by saying, you know, <laughs> if God could do, God can do. Okay. Yeah. Let's... But, but the yeah. reality is that are we responding to his call? And so the church needs to respond to God's call and being more concerned about God's people and not just saying it in, in just, I'll pray for you, but no, let's be the hands and feet of Jesus and do something about it. And so another one of the things that the church can do is to help um, help our brothers and sisters who have who live in food deserts. Mm-hmm. Let's push to have some um, some healthy options for them to have, or or poor schools. That there's so much that the church could do 
as a whole, but she chooses not to because the people in it is comfortable to sitting in the pews. I know it look like I'm in my church. So <laughs> it, it really does look like that, you know, people could just be sitting in the pews and be happy just because I'm doing that I was going to do on Sunday morning and that'll be it. Well, there are still people who are out there struggling every Sunday. There's people that are still struggling every day to even just get, like I said, the basic needs of just food. And so that th those individuals who are listening, if you really want to do something, then engage your community, engage your political, um, your political leaders and saying, this is, this is not good. Something mm -hmm. has to change. And so the change has to come from us by speaking up and saying, no, no longer will it. We, 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 we as believers of Christ will stand for the injustices that happen to people of color. Yeah, that, that's just, that's a good word. It's um, so, something you said reminded me of something. They, um, you said, you know, the church needs to go out to those who are in need, who are hurting. And uh, I'm sure we've all seen the whole uh, Black Lives Matter memes where it's, Jesus leaving the 99 for the one, right? So these are, this is the one in need. I'm going to go. I heard someone say, uh, since when did the story say that Jesus verified that that one sheep was really in need? You know, so many people are, okay, but is this really a problem? Why does that matter? When, when in that story did Jesus say, does that sheep really need help? He just went. Mm -hmm. I think that's a, and it's a, it's a good, it's good. That's a, yeah. Um, Valerie, you, you had something you wanted to say? Sure. This is not necessarily a direct um, answer to your question, but just something that I want to say. And um, awesome. so, you know, um, in, you know, slavery time, we fought for human rights. There was a time when Black people weren't even recognized as a person, right? And then we were recognized, I think, you know, three out of five were recognized as, as people. They gave us a, a number. So if you had a, a family of five, only three of you could be recognized as, as human beings. And so we dealt with that with the 13th Amendment in 1865. And then we fought for civil rights in the 60s. And we got civil rights, yay. What I want the church to understand, and when I say church, I'm talking the church about a prophecy, but I'm talking church globally, mm -hmm. is that what we're fighting for today is just equal rights. We're just fighting for equal rights. We just want to be valued and treated the same. And so in doing that, I think there's a whole lot of steps that need to happen, a whole lot of systems that need to change for that to happen. But that never happens if the people who are living that don't have voice. So rather we, again, talking about the church or your place of employment or your community groups, we have to figure out a way to give voice to the people who are in pain. The people who don't have equal rights need to be given um, voice. And so they not only need to be in the house, but they need to be in the room. They need to be at the table. And then at the table, they have to have voice. Can we sit around the table, everyone else eat. And you know, those who are marginalized, those who are um, not seen as equal ju or just sitting around the table, but leave the room unfed. So we have to give boy, allow space and you know where that is and how that looks may look very different in every single environment, but we have to figure out how to give voice to the people who are on the receiving end of this. Yeah. yeah. Um, Anybody else have anything that they wanted to add to that or to address the question of what one thing would you have the church do? Does anybody 
else have anything to add? Uh, yeah, I'll but, add something just really quick. So awesome. I think what I would want the church or I, I would assume the church would change is not only be intentional about what they're doing, but also make sure that that they're addressing a moral issue. Because like my sister was just mentioning, uh, Valerie, she was saying, we're not asking for anything additional. We're just asking for the bare minimum, like the what everybody else is getting. We're not asking for anything specific. So I think it's important that we look at the moral issue and challenge our community in general to check within ourselves. Because I'm sure like on an individual level, we have things that we can work on individually to help this on a macro level. So bringing awareness, like um, Valerie was mentioning earlier, there's so many different things that the church can do, but just challenging ourselves morally, like is are we allowing something immoral to happen what are our standards where where do we stand if the public has to ask where the church stands on topics like this we have a bigger issue mm-hmm. Amen. Mm-hmm. And i don't think that can i say can i say interject uh, last night i was watching the rodney king they took us back into history and i remember during that time 19 either 91 or 92. And I remember the riots were so terrible. So they asked the pastors to go and calm the people down. And this has stood out to me, what, 25 years ago. And the people said, they asked black pastors to go out and calm the people down. And the crowd said, we don't know y'all. Why are you coming to us now? And as Devante said, we've been hungry. We've been on these streets. And you all get in your cars, lock the doors, turn on the air, drive to your church, pass by us, go in, shout, do whatever you do. You come out and you leave us here. So don't come out here trying to calm us down because we haven't seen you before. And I do believe what, what, what each has said, we got a, a moral issue here. We, we got to say, what are we doing to add to this problem? If we're so busy going to church and don't see the issues, God needs to deal with our hearts. And one thing I've heard, just a phrase, not, not necessarily to deal with this, just in general, but that I like, was that... Um, change moves at the rate of relationships Mm. you know if we're building these relationships and we're doing something as far as a personal individual level in your relationships that's where you'll see change um and i think that's that speaks a lot to this situation as well um just just kind of recap so far we've on individual levels what we should be doing is kind of reflecting on ourselves and asking how we are impacting systematic racism or have we been furthering it or are we anti-racist? Um, we've talked about how Sister Sylvia suggested having sort of a, um, what do you say, said like a, a panel or an, for ideas to run through the church that everyone's represented. And uh, Pastor Charles mentioned having more diverse leadership. Got, these are all really good ideas. Um, before, before we end this panel, does, I just want to ask if anybody had any other notes, anything that they just really wanted to say 
now's the chance to say it. We would love to hear from each and every one of you. Um, is there anything else we should know or hear? Devante. I just want to say, just to be aware of the history of our country, just so we, so everybody has a better understanding of what black people feel. Just have a better, have a good understanding of what we're referring to. So look up the things that our government has done to black African-Americans. So just be aware of what's going on. Anybody else, um, any final I, notes? I, yes, I would like to say something. Um, Pastor Sylvia stated something. Well, we made a reference, someone made a reference to Pastor Sylvia. If she was the general overseer or uh, uh, general see what would happen. And people said there'll be uh, a mass exodus and there'll be a lot of things going on. But I believe that if we're, as uh, Pastor Staten uh, said, the focus group, if this can be done through our leadership and really bring people to the table, what our leadership is going to have to brace themselves for is a exodus because there will be an exodus because no matter how you cut it, how you look at it, some people will never, never accept uh, what we're you are we're trying to do and never accept change. So we got to prepare ourselves for a mass ex for an exodus because I mean when you bring people to the table and you really you know today this was a good conversation, but if you really want the uh, uh, conversation that the conversation can get real ugly and not not of uh, being combative, but if people really want to know the truth. The truth hurts, and a lot of people don't like truth. So I'll say to our leadership, be prepared for folk to leave the church if mm -hmm. you have this kind of conversation. That's true. Jesus said, uh, what was it? He said, I, I came to bring the sword. And sometimes yes. that's what the truth does. Yeah. Uh, Valerie, you had Absolutely. your Absolutely. Uh, yeah, actually, I, I took it down. I just, oh, um, sorry. And I'll just, I'll just end. This is the last thing I'll say. I promise. Um, is <laughs> that it's not um, have we uh, contributed to the problem? Because we all have. Exactly. I'm sorry. I'm still on the call. Yes, please. I'm sorry. Um, so it's the, it, the question is not um, you know have we? It, it, it's we we have. It's how have we, even as a black woman, even as black people, we contribute to our mm -hmm. own um, victimization because we, when something is ingrained or anyone who knows anything about abuse, once I have you under my control, I no longer have to perpetrate abuse. You are going to be under my control, whether I'm present or not. Absolutely. We have been, this has been so ingrained in the black community that we help to maintain the status quo ourselves. And so, you know, I have even begun to challenge some of my own thinking and some of the ways that I do things. I'll give you an example is my hair. I have not worn my hair like this ever in my life, but this is my natural, my natural hair. 
And before this call today, and if I straighten my hair, this is below, comes below my shoulders. And one of the things that I generally do, being the CEO of an organization, if I'm going into a meeting with execs or you know, folks who are high up that chain on, in terms of social economic status, I straighten my hair before I go to that meeting. And I thought about straightening, straightening my hair before getting on this call today. And I realized what I was doing was conforming. Mm-hmm. And trying to be exactly who the system told me that I was. Yes. So this yes. is a mm-hmm. question for white folks to say, how have yes. I um, perpetrated, but blacks to say, how have I helped to sustain racism in this country? Mm. Because we have adapted behaviors. We have conformed. We have said white schools are the best schools. We have said, you know, you got to get your child in this place or that place. And we have made those determinations based on how black or how white they were, how rich or how poor they, the, the, the institution was. So this is not, when I say that we have to ask ourselves this question, these questions is not just for white folks, it's for black folks as well. And in our everyday life, we have to challenge what we do, how we do it, and why we do it. Mm. And that's some big statements, big statements. Deep. Um, for the record, I, I really like your hair that way. looks pretty cool. I do too. <laughs> Thank you for not straightening your like hair. It too. <laughs> I want you to send me a picture of it. I can't see it. <laughs> sure, I will. <laughs> um, does anybody else have any, this is just one last chance. Does anybody else have any final comments before we kind of close the panel and wrap up this podcast? Does anybody have any final notes on the, just anything? Actually, just anything you want to say, we, we want to hear. It. Thank you guys. I appreciate the invite to this conversation. Thank you, Devante, man. We, we love you. I love you to death, brother. I love you guys too. All right. And, um, Anybody else have anything they wanted to add? Uh, Pastor Blake, are you still with us? Uh, yes, I am. All right. Uh, I, I just I've just enjoyed the the entire process and just <laughs> listening to, to you know all the comments and concerns and and um, definitely um, if there was one thing that uh, I would add to everything that's been you know that's been said is the fact that uh, the church needs to start with acceptance. Um, you know, accepting the fact that there is an issue that we, you know, do and always have had some problems and issues and that we need to, you know, receive that and then begin to look inwardly and address them as such. But it starts with acceptance and accepting the fact that, yes, there is an issue and, yes, we do have a problem. Josh, I, I would add, I think the conversation that's being had tonight is great. Um, but there's a common denominator with a lot of the participants for the exception of two. Um, that's the fact that we all look alike. The prob- we don't have a problem with each other. We have a problem with the system. Um, I think moving forward, conversations um, need to be had. They, they have to be had. But at the same time, everyone needs to have a seat at this table. Those who are, who are offending or who have been offended, um, we, we need to see each other. We need to hear each other and understand, you know, why are we feeling this way towards one another? Um, it's, it's great that we are having this conversation. But again, if, we, if we're talking about change, then the, the conversation, the difficult conversation must be had. Um, I think if, if and only by way of suggestion, not mandate, Josh, uh, I think what you guys are doing are great. Um, but if, if we're talking about changing systems, changing attitudes and behaviors, 
then there, there needs to be someone sitting across from me who does not look like me. I need to hear from him or her, and they need to hear from me. And if I could add, I think we need decision makers at the table. That's right. People who are in positions that make decisions, um, that have made decisions in the past, they need to hear. Because all of us talking makes for good conversation. But it will be buried somewhere where the raiders of the lost ark, where, where that is hidden. <laughs> we need decision makers bought into this conversation. Um, you know, I realize I've got, and I'm not old, 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 decrepit, but I've got more years behind me, in, behind me than I do in front of me. I don't like to waste my time or waste my words. I want my every word that I speak, I want it to count. And this is just another nice conversation if we're not talking to decision makers. Right. That's when things begin to change. Yeah. Which um, I, I know a few decision makers follow this and hopefully they'll hear this and want to have these conversations and maybe we'll do something else like this with more of the people involved who can be people of action um, in the future. I and mean, that, that would be my hope is that we could do that. Um, I really hope this was sort of the baby step, right? Like the first step of, uh, you, you know, like they have that joke, you know, I got a plan to plan. Well, this is like the first mm -hmm. step to take a step. <laughs> like this is um, the conversation that needed to be had is that we need to have conversations. Mm -hmm. And um, hopefully this will help other people open up and be willing to do that. And we can see more men of action, more diversity in these conversations and change to be had. And, um, that's really our hope with this. Thank, thank you all so much for joining us. Um, it was great to meet those of you I haven't met before. And uh, those of you I've known for a while, it's just good to see your faces again. And um, I appreciate all of you so much. Thank you. Thanks, for Josh. <laughs> thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. I think we're thank um, you. Yeah, Sister Sylvia, we got just a little bit left to wrap up okay. the podcast, but I think that that'll be it for the panel. Th thank everybody again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you guys. All right. You guys are the best. Oh yeah. You can right. stay. All right. They left. <laughs> um,